Uh, last Sunday we began uh, a series uh, in church that we're going to look over this next week while looking at the whole issue of uh, mental health and uh, because we had said to people that the mind is a battlefield and we looked at the whole idea of how our thoughts affect uh, our mental health and uh, how they can be positive or negative and how uh, our lives are led often in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Um, and we know that, that poor mental health can be a result of uh, hereditary circumstances, it can be the result of circumstances, grief, experience, a response to things going on around us. And we really made three important points which we've kept uh, repeating over the week uh, online and to people who have asked that it was important to understand that, that, uh, that, that if we go through a stage in our life of poor mental health as a Christian, that it's not a result of a weakness or, or sin in our life or a lack of faith. Um, we also said that it's, not, it's okay not to be okay and to make sure that you find the help and the support and the encouragement uh, from others on our journey that, that God uses uh, other people. And probably the most important point was, was this, was Jesus meets people as they are, not where they should be, hope to be, or will be in the future. Uh, because we always feel as though we have to reach a particular standard before, uh, before he does something in our life, maybe deal with uh, an issue, uh, maybe there's something happening at the moment and we think, well, you know, maybe once I get this sorted, then, you know, I can, I can expect Jesus to do something. And we're really uh, reiterating the point that he, he meets you exactly where you are. Well, with the difficulties and the trials and the troubles and, and whatever's going on inside uh, with your thoughts, he meets you exactly there. And that was so important for us to, to say that, to open up a conversation about mental health, particularly in church. So it's not a taboo subject that we don't feel um, we can't talk about. Or our advice to people is just to pray more or study more or go to church more, but actually walk alongside people uh, through the difficult and the challenges that they're going through that this would be a place where uh, not only you could come and bring your baggage and be accepted but also the place where we give God the opportunity to do something uh, in our lives and it's really so important to keep uh, saying that and so if we looked at our thoughts last week I felt that, that this week um, it was led really to look at our feelings how our feelings play a part in our mental health uh, because we all have feelings uh, about different things, uh, about what goes on. Our lives are often directed by how we feel, uh, particularly in the area of mental health because so many things to do with the, the issues that people have with worry, anxiety and other things, they, they are often feelings that, that people have. Um, uh, and so it's important for us to try and address that and look at what uh, the Bible says and, and it's something that can affect everyone and, and you know, and and it, and it can affect everyone and, and may affect anyone. Uh, you know, there, there's d different things that can happen to people and often our feelings can be, once again, much like our thoughts, can be uh, both positive and, and negative. And uh, there's a character in the Bible that we're going to look at and, um, and, and Elijah. Uh, and one of the wonderful things about reading scripture, reading stories in the Bible is, um, you know, God never, never picks perfect people. He doesn't 
doesn't pick people who have always got it all together. The, their path is laid out in front of them. Uh, there's no obstacles, there's no trials, there's no troubles. He picks people who we can relate to in life. And Elijah is one of those characters. Uh, he, an Old Testament prophet who lived in the service of God and um, he experienced miraculous on several occasions in his life. He was a man of, of great faith and humility who God used. But he was also a man and subject to the same human frailties and trials and troubles as we all are. As a matter of fact, in James 5 verse 17, it tells us uh, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. That, that he simply says that often we elevate some of the Bible characters to uh, a status that they, they would never have had to deal with some of the stuff that, that maybe we have to deal with and we have to go through. But that's simply not true when we read uh, the different stories of the Bible characters and understand some of the trials and the troubles that they face. And I felt it was important as well uh, this morning to differentiate the issue as well because Elijah was a man and if men if there's one men if there's one thing we're not good at it's anything to do with our feelings often because often we associate our feelings with I feel hungry or I feel bored or I feel those are the things we associate our feelings with and often men tend to sort of just bury their feelings deep inside of them when they're going through some of the troubles and some of the anguish and some of the hard times and tend to try and deal with them themselves because they don't want to ever appear weak or vulnerable or they don't ever want to appear to others that they're not in a sense real men which is is what people have you know sort of associated with those who would recognize our feelings we we stand tall and you know and in one of my spiritual encouragements over the years to the young people when I work with them was suck it up you know and I realized that actually you know that that that's not always helpful uh, you know it, it was it was helpful sometimes because some some of them needed that but it wasn't necessarily helpful all the time and it's not necessarily helpful all the time particularly to say to men just suck it up and get on with it because it's not helpful so though this addresses this you know the, the whole idea of feeling sometimes is well uh, because people feel something is how do we deal with that when it comes to the battlefield of our mind and taking a look at people like Elijah encourages us in, in our struggles and our feelings and our difficulties and the story we're going to read uh, when Elijah suddenly runs away from what God wants him to do makes me realize this and it's such an individual story. Uh, though, though we preach sometimes and it speaks to a group that says, God is so interested in the individual. I have preached it and said it so many times. Interested in every aspect of our lives as individuals. And this story we're going to read just highlights and reaffirms this point that, that, that God is uh, me, God is compassionate he does count the tears and hears the despair. He draws close to the brokenhearted and he comforts the hurting. He never abandons us and leaves us alone. And he does that with us as individuals, not as a group in a sense, but us as individuals or whatever is happening to you, God is working and walking alongside you, dealing with all of those things on an individual basis in your life. 
Uh, and so we looked at how our thinking can affect our mental health. Uh, and so we've got to replace the, and we looked at that key point of replacing the lies of the enemy with the truth of the, God's word. And there's a similar thought that follows through this story uh, this week, uh, that we are taking a look at the part our feelings play. Now I'm going to read the story in 1 Kings uh, 19. It is a few verses, but it's a story. It's a narrative that tells us what's happening to Elijah. Previously to this, he had, he had experienced his great spiritual victory over the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, uh, where he was alone, but it didn't bother him because he knew that God was with him. And he challenged the prophets of Baal to prove that their God was real and they couldn't do it. And when it came to Elijah's turn to prove that his God was real, and the, the fire came upon the altar, the sacrifice, and, and so it therefore proved that the, the God of Elijah was real and he experienced his great spiritual victory. But straight afterwards, we get into this story and we see what happens. Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with a threat, the gods will get you for this and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Bathsheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and then went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life, I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Suddenly an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. He looked around and to his surprise, right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. The angel of God came back, shook him awake again and said, get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. He got up, ate and drank his fill and set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God to Horeb. When he got there, he crawled into a cave, went to sleep. Then the word of God came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel army, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind whipped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak, went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. A quiet voice asked, so Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? Elijah said it again, I've been working my heart out for God, the God of the angel armies, because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship, murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. God said, go back the way you came through the desert to Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, make him king over Aram, then anoint Yehu, um, then anoint Yehu, son of Nishmi, make him king over Israel. 
finally anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as a prophet. Anyone who escapes death by Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and anyone who escapes death by Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Just final verses. Meanwhile, I'm preserving for myself 7,000 souls, the knees that haven't bowed to the god Baal, the mouths haven't kissed the image. Elijah went straight out and found Elisha, son of Shabbat, in a field where there were 12 pairs of yoked oxen and were plowing. Elisha was in charge of the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak over him. We all have something in common here uh, at some point. We will understand Elijah's words when he runs away to start with, but when he comes to the broom tree and he simply just says, I've had enough. I feel like quitting. The pressure of what life throws at us just takes its toll and we want to quit. We want to give up. And as Christians, we know that God loves us. We know he has a plan for our lives. But the reality is this, like Elijah, we feel dry, broken, disheartened with all that has happened. And like Elijah declares in verse 4, he simply says, Lord, I've had enough. He's not only at breaking point, he's probably gone past breaking point as he declares to God. And so he makes this um, decision to run away. He's experienced his major spiritual victory, the fulfillment of the promises that God had made him. And where he should be encouraged, Elijah is full of fear. He's not afraid of the 400 prophets of Baal. He's afraid of just one woman. And all the men understand what that means, don't you? We do, don't we? Just one woman put the fear into him and he ran away. He says he disappeared and runs for his life. The threat, Jezebel had a threatening message to Elijah that she was going to kill him by this time tomorrow. To look at the issue of running away to start with is running away from everything and everyone is a race you will never win. It's often people feel that that is the only option sometimes, just to run away from everything that is happening to them. He couldn't have run any further than he did, if you know anything of the layout of the land that they're talking about. It was at the southern limit of the land. And then once there, we even walked another day into the desert. Because Elijah, uh, like people, when they're having uh, the difficulties and the struggles, he, he, he not only thought it would be better to run away, his feelings sort of confirmed his thoughts that if I could just run as far away from my problems, then they would be dealt with. Now, it teaches us two things here. The first one is this, is we never run away from our problems and we definitely never run away from God. There is nowhere that God isn't. So though Elijah may feel that running away may have escaped the physical threat from Jezebel, he says he doesn't escape the truth that God is wherever he ends up. And he just simply says this, he says, I've had enough. Those words that say um, over this past year, I said to you, I've had enough of lockdown. I've had enough of isolation. I've had enough of my husband. No, anybody? No, no, no. And, uh, people, I've had enough. 
and it says, whatever it is, I've had enough of homeschooling. I've had enough of whatever has been thrown at me over this past year. Uh, and so people feel discouraged, physically exhausted, and they often feel like a failure because they're overcome by all these things that he prays to God. And he actually simply says to God, not God, would you rescue me from this woman Jezebel? Not, not God, you're in control and I know everything uh, is, that's happening is because you're sovereign. He's so low in his thoughts and he feels so low in his despair. He does not pray any of those prayers. He prays, Lord, I've had enough, take my life. Like, like the ancestors, almost like he said, I, I've done enough for you, God. The defeat of the prophets of Baal was my, was my final action, was my final event for you, God. I don't want to feel like this anymore, so God, would you just simply take my life? See, discouragement and despair are those things that he felt that day as he sits under the broom tree as a life killer. It affects the way we see ourselves. It causes us, in a sense, to evade our responsibilities and it prompts us to blame others for our problems. Uh, and so we see that if we live our life by our feelings, there, there are some things that we notice. The first one is this, is our actions are often determined by our feelings. If we feel something, and it says it often leads us to do something as far as action. If you feel angry, it says the response of that is to go and do something or to say something that you probably don't want to say, but you feel that that's uh, the only thing you can do because your actions are determined by your feelings. And you see, what then happens is we will react rather than act. Because inside of us is just a little bit of a mess in a sense because our thoughts are telling us one thing because our feelings are not uh, sort of lined up with the way we usually feel because of the despair and the discouragement that we are feeling. You see, somebody said this, and this is so true, that emotions and feelings are wonderful servants, but they're terrible leaders. And it simply means that, that, that it's a point of saying that we should never have any feelings. Of course we have feelings, of course we feel things. And they can be positive and negative, but we should be led by our feelings. And here the difficulty and the trouble that Elijah, in a sense, experiences when he runs away is because he's led by his feelings. And it's easy for me to stand here and say, don't be led by the way you feel. If you're feeling anxious or troubled or worried, it's easy to stand here behind the pulpit and say when people experience the, maybe the, the darkness sometimes or the despair that they maybe get into and, and say, don't, don't be led by your feelings. And it, it's how we deal with all that in this battlefield of the mind. What do we do? We, we often got to do things that replace the, the, the lies with God's truth but this week to change the, the way we feel about situations to, to what God says to us about the situations because that's what, exactly what God does here with Elijah because all, everything he feels, it, it, the problem is it, it is because uh, there are three reasons here why Elijah felt the way he did. The, the first one is this, he felt like a failure. He simply experienced a conversion of all Israel back to God and so he'd expected the conversion of all Israel back to God he had spent his life uh, working hard hoping 
and in labour to see something happen. You know, often at times we have expectations in life uh, and often the expectations don't happen. They don't meet the sort of our satisfaction in a sense. You know, if you want to go and do something or be something, you get to that point and you, you, you achieve it, but then you realise, but that doesn't really satisfy me. It's not me, the expectation I have. Or oh, oh, our hearts are set on something, or oh, our hearts are set on someone, and, and we never quite meet that expectation. And so it makes us feel like a failure. Our world often is set up, in a sense, to, for people to pass or fail. Uh, you, know, you know, whatever we do, it's pass or fail. And we can all talk about things maybe we've, we've failed at in life. You know, we talk about the tests that, that we do. And, and, but it, it could be more serious than that. People have an expectation of, of, of when they get married, uh, of what marriage will be like. That expectation, the reality doesn't meet the expectation. And people feel like a failure. People feel like they've made mistakes and it can change the way they think, but also the way that they feel. And so often at times we can feel like a failure because we often look back upon our life and think to ourselves that we failed here when we failed there. And this is all Elijah does here. He feels like he's failed. He feels like he's failed God. He feels a failure himself because he disappears under, out into the desert to sit under this broom tree alone with his thoughts. And his thoughts simply are guided by his feelings which simply tell him, Elijah, you're a failure. But it wasn't a failure, it was just the way that he felt. And often at times it is just the way we feel sometimes because our feelings can be temporary. Uh, you know, what God thinks about us is permanent. He says, but actually our feelings can be temporary. Uh, and we can feel that despair and discouragement and all the other things that come along and we can feel that thinking, that's the way my life is all the time, but it's not the way your life is all the time. Something that has helped me, and I've said this many, many times, a failure is an event, never a person. With nobody that is a failure. You may well have failed at things. You, you may well have failed at some exams. You may well have failed by not getting the job, or you may well have failed uh, at other things, but that does not make you a failure, because failure is an event, and never a person. And Elijah wasn't a failure. He definitely wasn't a failure. His second thing that he felt was this, and uh, this he felt lonely. He was in the worst place he could possibly be on his own in the wilderness. It was his choice though, because God had not led him there. Uh, and I preached this a few years ago and it always stood out to me, the question that God asked him on two occasions, when he simply says to him, he says, Elijah, why are you here? And often at times when people feel discouraged and they disappear to a place on their own thinking they're better off by themselves, alone, just isolated from others. The question maybe we have to ask sometimes or somebody has to ask them is, why are you here? Why are you here? And Elijah gives him the, the reasons. Uh, and he, he, you see what Elijah needed more than anything was companionship and encouragement. Because he felt lonely and discouraged, he just needed somebody to come alongside him. And when feeling the way he felt, just to sit down and just to, in a sense, the idea of just giving him some encouragement uh, and some support and some hope. But he doesn't have anybody because he's sitting under a tree. 
Uh, and nobody knows he's there except his servant who is left miles and miles away. And it's why God asks him the question and says, Elijah, why, what are you doing here? See, there's no church of me. There was no one-man ministry. There was no, I'm better off on my own. I don't need the church or other Christians. You see, all that had happened here, if we look at Elijah's story, is that, that he had ended up full of self-pity, feeling sorry for himself. And in a sense, he'd been left with the victim mentality. It says, the truth of it is, we're not better off on our own. In churches, and in this church, there may well be people that do your head in. And you may be glad and blessed that they go to one of the other two services. But one day we will all come back together. And all those people that did your head in that you haven't seen for the last year, says they'll all come together. And it says we will arrive together. But even with all of that, even with all of our different backgrounds, even with all of the different things going on in our lives, it says we're still better off together. We're still better off needing each other. We're still better off if we're dealing with the issue of our feelings, having somebody beside us to encourage us and support us and put some hope into us rather than us being on our own, sitting under a tree, feeling sorry for ourselves, telling God, this is why I'm here, God. This is why I'm sitting here in despair. You know, the third thing was this, as this is interesting now. He felt exhausted. There is a physical exhaustion and there is an emotional exhaustion and there is a mental exhaustion and often the physical and the emotional exhaustion lead to the mental exhaustion Elijah had taken many long journeys even on his journey he had left his servant travelled a day's journey and it's interesting to note this that in the way Elijah felt the first thing that he did was fall asleep which was rest and then when he woke up God provided him with the food and the water that he needed and then he went back to sleep again because God understood something that we often don't understand that our physical health is so associated with our mental and our emotional health that God didn't grab hold of Elijah and shake him and say pull it yourself together you are the one that I have called to do all these miracles. He just simply did this. He let him sleep. He woke him up. The food and water was provided. Then he went back to sleep. Then he woke up again. The food and the water was provided. And he went back to sleep. You teenagers will understand what I'm talking about, won't you? <laughs> Says that's what he did. No rebuke. No telling off. God just met him exactly where he was. He says the physical before the emotional and that before the mental and the spiritual. But then he helps him in just my last couple of minutes. This is what God does. We've said he, he allows him to sleep and he nourishes him with food. He gives him the guidance and he asks the right questions. He says, what are you doing here? He says, what are you doing here? And, and then God does this. And this is the important thing here. He says, God gives him a revelation of who he is and how that fits into all of Elijah's life. And he says with him, he says, Elijah, you're thinking you're the only one left. 
You're thinking you're on your own. You're thinking this is out of my control. Uh, and following up from last week, God just corrects him. He just says, actually, Elijah, you're not. You're not on your own because there's another 7,000. He says, you're not on your own because actually I want you to go back this way and go and call on young Elisha to come on the journey with you because God realized that he needed somebody with him on the journey. And so God does all of this. He gives him the direction, gives him a companion, gives him everything he needs to carry on. I love it that, that there's, there's no rebuke. There's no telling off. There's no God saying, I wish I'd picked somebody else. There's no, you know, the other fellow, I should have gone for him. He says, God doesn't do any of that. He walks with Elijah along the journey in the most personal way. And he says, we finished the most encouraging part of the story is this. Is this is God has not finished with Elijah. And it helps us when we look, if we're affected by our thoughts and affected by our feelings, and we're dealing with stuff at the moment, uh, this truth stands out that God is not finished with you. Because it's the most encouraging part of the story that not only does God walk alongside Elijah, leads and directs us and replenishes him, does all of that. He brought him back from his point of despair because he was God's man. He, he was the one that God loved. He didn't abandon him out in the desert. He didn't leave him in the wilderness with his thoughts. I've shared this before, you know, it's interesting that Elijah performed 14 miracles. Scripture tells us Elijah recorded 14 miracles in his lifetime. There were six before this episode. There were eight after this episode. That tells me that God brought him back from his absolute brokenness, despair, hopelessness, every feeling imaginable, how low he was, God brought him back and did more in his life after the event than he did before the event. And if that does not give us hope this morning, as we look at this battlefield of the mind, I don't know what does. God is not finished with you or with me. Whatever it is we are dealing with, as says the better days are ahead of us, even in our despair and hopelessness at the moment. It says God is not finished with you or me. He not only restores us, he brings us to the point where we are still used by him to do what he's called us to do. He doesn't give up on anybody. And he's not finished with you this morning. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, we relate to this story, not only in the way that Elijah sits under the tree alone in despair and says, I've had enough. For Father, we have been at that place ourselves. But Father, as we read this story, we are so encouraged by whatever each and every person in this church is going through at the moment. The Father God, you are with them. The God, you, you are not leading them by rebuking them or telling them off or wishing you would pick somebody else. The God, you are exactly with them where they are at this point, at the moment, in their trials and their troubles and their difficulties. And Father, I thank you that the end of the story for Elijah was that you had not finished with him, 
And God, you've not finished with us either. And we thank you for that this morning. The Father, we take hold of that this morning. That no matter how we feel, God, you are not finished with us today. So, Father, I pray for every need in this place today. God, would you meet it? Would you lead people, guide people through? Just sit beside people today, Father. And their loneliness and their uh, isolation, Father, they may feel. And God, just restore them and encourage them. Give them hope today. In Jesus' name. Amen.